This episode of Trapital is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Dice. Okay, so you want to go out. You want to go see a concert, head to the club, check out a festival, and you got to get tickets. But that's where the pain starts. You got to try to get a ticket before they sell out. You get hit with surprise fees at the end. You got resellers charging you insane prices. And then, even if you get a ticket, you got the stress of trying to organize your friends to come with. Dice does it differently. Their platform connects the best venues, promoters, and artists to the fans who truly care about live music and culture. Their app has the easiest interface on the planet, meaning fans can check out in seconds, and this is a company that actually dedicates time to R&D, strategy, data analysis, basically the stuff that modern companies are supposed to be doing. Artists play to more packed out crowds, venues get more repeat customers, and fans get to witness some of the best live shows out there. Dice is so easy to use and so bullshit free, it's kind of weird that no one else has followed suit, but so far, they haven't. If you want to know more, check out Dice FM. That's D-I-C-E dot F-M, or just download the app. So I would say that 90% of the AI technology out there is terrible. I think it's noise. I think it's generating poor quality output. They're toys. Um, So I think, again, it's still very, very early in good AI technologies. Hey, welcome to Trapital. I'm your host, Dan Runcie. This is your place to gain insights on the business that shapes music, media, and culture. We dive deep into the companies and moguls who start the trends that shape the rest of the business world. A few months ago, we tackled two big questions. Who's looking out for middle-class musicians and which companies are actually serving them? Well, today, I sat down and spoke with one of those company leaders, and that's Kakul Srivastava. She's the CEO of Splice, a company that serves 8 million users around the world and helps them bring their music creations to life. On Splice, they have access to royalty-free music and samples where they can mix and master and create and leverage the latest AI tools to do just that. And on this episode, Kakul and I talk about a number of things. We talk about her vision for how she sees the music industry and how she feels that most of the industry is focused on trying to help artists become the next Taylor Swift or Drake. But that overlooks this whole other side of the industry of people that want to create and music is something that means to them, independent of trying to become famous or trying to become wealthy from it. But they do have the willingness to pay for quality services. And there's a whole business to be able to be built around that. So Kakul and I talked about that. We talk about what does growth look like? What does strategy and customer acquisition look like for a company like this relative to others? We also talk about some of the latest developments in AI and why she believes that Splice's technology is set apart from the rest of them. And we also talk about the future of Splice. What do exits look like? What does it look like five years down the road and more? So come join us as we look at the other side of the music industry that doesn't get talked about enough. All right. I'm really excited for this conversation. going to have with Kakul Shavastava from Splice. Welcome to the podcast. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I am I can't tell you how long I've wanted to have this conversation with you. I think one of the things that always interested me about you and your background, you're someone that is leading a music tech company now, but you didn't start in music. You've worked in tech in several different leadership roles in what was the origins of Slack. You were also at WeWork, you're at Adobe, Yahoo. What brought you to music? Oh, that's a good question. Um, So most of my career has been focused on building software for creative people. So whether it was for photographers at Flickr 
or entrepreneurs at WeWork or coders at GitHub or, of course, digital media creators at Adobe most recently. Um, that's what my life's work has been. How do you build software for creative people? And that's what I'm doing here at Splice is building software for a different kind of creative person, the musician, the music creator. So on one hand, it feels like a very natural extension. On the other hand, it feels crazy. Um, my husband has asked me to not sing along with the radio because I literally am tone deaf. Um, and so when I look at some of the music creators that I get to work with every day, I'm just in awe of their work and what they can hear and what they can do, what they can create. It feels pretty tremendous. I feel pretty lucky to be here. And you mentioned how music may be a bit crazier or different before. Is there anything specific about music creators themselves that give that awe feeling or that it's different from some past roles? You know, I'll, I'll tell you something, you know, coming from the tech industry, the quote unquote normal tech industry, I think music, the music industry, music tech is underestimated. Um, and that's partly because people look at the music industry through the lens of rights and rights holders and people getting sued all the time and all of that stuff. And people automatically assume it's a small market, it's a hard market to innovate in because there are all these rules and these regulations. Um, and I think what they forget is that music creators are actually like other creators. They need software, they need great tools, they need to get um, better technology to get the ideas that are in their hearts and minds out. Um, and there are a lot of them. Um, there are about 10 million creative professionals in the world, and Adobe has built multi-billion dollar business out of serving creative professionals. There are 300 million musicians in the world, 400 million, depending on whose numbers you look at. It's a huge market, and it's vastly underserved. So I think there's just a big opportunity here. Why do you think it's been underserved up to this moment? Because... A company like Adobe, they've been able to build a business off of it. But in music, so much is focused on how do you serve those superstars? How do you serve the top people that drive the revenue? Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. For me, again, coming in as an outsider, um, I've looked around this industry and I really, and you've heard me talk about this before, it's this tale of two cities, right? I really feel you come into this city and you're first blown away by the shiny lights and the crystals and the beautiful people on stage. And it's about that. And everyone wants to be the next Drake or the next Kendrick or the next Rihanna. And that's the focus. And that's the shiny city. And in exactly the same place, there's another city. And the people in this city are sitting in dark rooms, in their basements, surrounded by technology and wires and bad furniture. And these are the people who are really creating the music. And those people are underserved. It's not a shiny city. And for me, that's really the focus. And because everyone who comes into this world gets distracted by the crystal and the shiny lights and the beautiful people, they forget about this vast group of people. And many of them, have been sold a bill of goods, right? They've come into this world expecting to make money in a certain way. Like you had this great podcast about the middle-class musician. 
Um, I love that podcast. And I really think that in order to serve the second city, you have to get down to the fundamentals of what music is about. And music is about communication. It's about community. And it's about shared experience of emotion. And some of that happens through big concerts and these top musicians. But a lot of it happens differently. A lot of it happens in the act of creation. Um, and we have to focus on that if this, this industry is to move forward. I feel like part of the challenge that we hear is, especially in that second city, a lot of people are creating there, but I feel like the industry is often used the term hobbyist to refer to them. And you have this vision of someone that is in their room and if they have to pay $10 a month for some service that they may not want to do that if the service is free, now they have to charge. And maybe there's a one in a million chance that they're making music in their bedroom and they may turn into Billie Eilish and Phineas making a Grammy right, right, right. award-winning album. But right. I think so much of it is a mentality shift because there still is plenty of opportunity and there still is plenty of ways that a business can serve these folks and that an industry doesn't have to be as focused on so many of those top line metrics. I think we've probably both seen the charts from different places where everything ends up being some type of power law, whether it's your 0.1% of musicians that drive 60% of the revenue. But again, that revenue is based on that other city. That Totally that other city. Totally that other city. I mean, I'll, I'll use analogy again with um, photography, right? There are 500,000 professional photographers in the world. That doesn't stop you or I from taking incredible photos every single day. But somehow, because there are these sort of power law top artists in the world, somehow that keeps us from feeling like we can make music. So I was actually talking to a teacher at my kid's school earlier today and she told me the funniest thing or most interesting thing she said I played cello for 16 years and then I had to make a decision and I realized I just wasn't good enough to continue thousands of people make that decision every day and they decide I'm not good enough to continue why do we do that you and I don't decide oh I'm not good enough to continue taking photos Right? Because that's just how we see. That's a way of capturing what we see. I think music deserves to be let out. I believe music deserves to be everyone's. And if we enable that to happen, we're serving a fundamental need for these human beings. Right. Because if we think about the product that people are buying, I think a lot of things designed in music tech is about People have ignored it because they feel like the willingness to pay may not necessarily be there. But you all have a business model that proves otherwise. I think one of the things is that your business model isn't tied to streaming revenue the same way that others are. And I think anytime your revenue is tied to that, you also are in the game of trying to get the next Taylor Swift, Drake, whoever. So can you talk a bit more about how you've all been able to quantify that? Yes, not only do we believe fundamentally there's a market, but there is a healthy business to be made from it too. Yeah. So, you know, our our mission statement is really simple. Empower music creators everywhere. And so do we have music creators who want to be famous, who want to, you know, have millions of streams? 
Absolutely, we do. But we also have a lot of customers who are hobbyists, as you say, who are in their basements, who take time away from their regular jobs or hanging out with their kids to create music. Um, and so there is a market. There is absolutely a market there. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And because you know that both of the markets are out there, but you're clearly focusing a bit more on the other city. I'm curious, how does this look from a strategy perspective in terms of customer profiles and what customer acquisition may look like and growth look like? Are there two parallel strategies or things like that that look at reaching or approaching one city versus the other? Yeah. And so I guess I want to make sure that I'm clear that it's not that we're not focused on the other city. We're not exclusively focused on that city, which is, I think, the problem that many people in the industry make. We think about our core customer segment as digital music producers. These are people who are purchasing digital audio workstations, which is the most common type of software that's used in the industry. They're about 4 million people who buy digital audio workstations every year. That's a large group of people. And it's growing very quickly because you've got all of these people who are trying to create music, whether it's for TikTok or YouTube or whatever. They are creating the rise of the independent artist. You've talked about this as well. It's a big deal. So you've got a lot of people coming into that market. So that's a big and growing market. Next to that market is a group of people that we call future producers. And we talk about these people as the dog curious. They, they want to create music. They know that digital audio workstations are kind of how they get there. But they've looked at some of these tools and they're like, wow, this looks really complicated. I don't know if it's in me to do this. A lot of these people are vocalists. They've got, you know, they're instrumentalists. You know, they've got their melody that they've come out. And how do I finish this into a track? And there's a real you know, challenge of that hurdle that they have to go over. And then the third group that we look at are musicians. And there are 300 to 400 million of those. And that's a really big market. And I'm not even counting all of the people who are on TikTok creators or, you know, Snap creators. Those are not, I mean, that's another vast market. So as I look at this world, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of people who should have better software to create music. Part of this too gets at some of the challenges that music creators can feel with some of the existing platforms out there. And not to call any of them out specifically, but I do think sometimes there can be a bit of a clunkiness. There can be a bit of a learning curve as well. So how do we make it easier? How do you increase that opportunity? Because as we talked about, and even in past conversations, so many of us played instruments growing up. So many of us would want to be able to do this, but if you have a tool that can make it easier, you know, without reducing all of the fun, there's a natural challenge sure, that sure. comes with it. And I assume that as well with some of the advancements you've all have made using AI tools and things like that, that that's the goal, right? How do you make this easier? How do yeah. you increase the opportunity? I mean, the list of blockers is incredible. And, and to your point, I mean, some of these tools are 30, 40 years old, which is great in the sense that it speaks to their staying power. Right? I, I came from Adobe. I know the staying power of something like Photoshop. So these tools have incredible staying power, but they are incredibly daunting as well. And so how do we get people started? There are two problems that we're really focused on at Splice. One is the issue of inspiration, 
how do I get the idea to get started? And one of the behaviors that we're seeing a lot on, on our site, and especially with our new tool, Create, is people will come and listen to the sounds on Splice because we have this incredible range. I think we have you know over 300 genres. We have recordings of unique Japanese instruments and we have recordings of geothermal springs and we have recordings of instruments from all over the world. I mean, we have this, this incredible vast library. So people will just come and listen just as an idea starter. The second problem that we're hoping to help solve is how do you find the inspiration? And listening to sounds is a great way to get started. And um, and then the other is how do you complete your track? How do you find the other pieces that help you tell the full, com get, get to the full composition when you might just have a few parts to it? And I know that AI has been a big piece of your focus even before AI did become the buzzword <laughs> that it's become in the past couple of years throughout tech. But talk to me about how AI helps with those two challenges. I know that's a big piece of the yeah, solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll t start talking about AI as a whole, right? There's so much noise about it right now. And like, what, no company that is doesn't have an AI soundbite is getting funding. So there's a lot of noise about AI. Um, what we have learned about AI, having been working on it for a long time, is that it's sort of what you get out is what you put in. And training data is pretty paramount. And with our library, the breadth and depth of the library that we have, um, we have some of the world's best training data. In fact, companies come to us all the time, very large companies as well as small companies, asking to have access to this, this training data. Um, and that's really, really important. The other thing that is really important uh, when you're building an AI-based tool, especially for creativity, is that you have to have a very high standard for musicality, what sounds right. And similarly, we've had all these companies come to us, try to sell their technology to us, and we listen to it. And I can't hear anything because I'm tone deaf, but my team, they listen to it like, no, it's not there yet. It doesn't sound good. And that is a really important distinction so um, I was telling you earlier about Create, which is our new AI-based uh, offering. What it allows you to do is, you know, pick today, the technology that you'd see on our website is you pick a genre and it combines together sounds that it, our AI believes are complementary in that genre. And then you have a lot of controls to say, no, I don't want this kind of drum. I want different kind of drum or I want this kind of vocal. I'd like to have this kind of chord, you know, chord progression. And you put those things in and you really just use it as a listening tool, as a, as a song starter tool. And that's really fantastic that we're able to do that. Again, we have the library of sounds, we have the training data. The way we develop that tool was to invite users and artists into our development process. So we literally piped active feedback from our website right into the Slack channels where our designers and developers and product managers were working on the tool. And so our users, the creatives, powered Next Steps. And we're not alone in this. I was talking to a gentleman who was a very senior person at OpenAI 
And I was asking them about how they built some of their um, you know, mid-journey and, and other tools. And their answer was like, when you put the hands, the, the tools in the hands of artists, they take it to a place that you could never have imagined. And that's the really fun part. Because of the scale at which Splice operates, we have more customer feedback than probably most of the people in the industry. And so we have this deep sound library to, for the training data, and we have artists that are, you know, again, one of the largest groups of artists working with us to make the technology even better. And I think one of the underlying things too to point out is that a lot of the stalls that have happened with the other side of the music industry when it comes to AI is how do you train off of this data? Well, no one wants their data to be what's trained off of. You don't have that problem because it is part of the service itself. It is part of the service. So we we have a very clean library where we have the rights to do this. Uh, we partner with artists. We pay them fairly. So that's a really, really big part of our ethos is around the ethical AI. The other thing that I think is really unique about our approach to AI, which is different from a lot of the things that you hear a lot of noise about, is push-button creativity. You type a bunch of words and poof, a song comes out. That's not how creativity should happen. Like That's not what those people in those dark rooms are working for, right? They're trying to get their idea out. So how do you build AI tools with humans still at the center? And that's why bringing these artists in as a core part of our development process has been so important because early on they told us, this kind of feels like cheating. And so we knew that we had to pull back some of the magic and give the artists more tools, more control so that it was really their unique voice that was coming out and not something created by a computer. If you love Trapital, you should check out what our friends at Disgraceland have cooking up. It's an award-winning music and true crime podcast with a brand new season all about Wu-Tang Clan. Episodes about RZA, Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface Killer, fighting for their lives and getting involved in all sorts of stuff. Listen, if you know anything about hip hop, you know that these are some wild boys and Disgraceland does what it does best, and it dissects and breaks down the stories behind the musicians that we've grown and loved. They've done deep dives and covered many artists like Fleetwood Mac, Tupac, Grateful Dead, Billie Holiday, Charles Manson, Taylor Swift, Rolling Stones, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, Amy Winehouse, and more. But this season is the first serialized one that they've done on the full story of Wu-Tang Clan over 10 episodes. New episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday. Follow and listen to Disgraceland for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this podcast, make sure you check out the rest of the stuff that we have at Trapital. First, our Trapital newsletter. Each week, we're breaking down the most important stories. We're sharing highlights and key insights from our Trapital episodes. We're also sharing links to some of the most important business stories of the week and sharing our insights and some of the more timely things that happen in the industry. So please go to trapital.co, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L.co, and you can sign up for the newsletter and you can get it there. And we also have a bunch of cool stuff coming up down the pipeline for 2023, like our upcoming culture report. 
Last year's report was one of the most popular things that we put out last year, and we're excited to double down with this year's report to share the most important trends that are shaping music, media, entertainment, and culture. So make sure that you're on the Capital newsletter so you'll get that, and you'll stay on tap with everything else that we have going on. All right, let's go back to the show. Do you think that line changes as the technology gets better where people can feel like, okay, not only do I feel like I still have control, but the output is now better? Because I'm sure there's probably some sliding scale that's somewhat correlated with the technology just getting better. So, you know, one, one of the things that delights me, I mean, we, we get a lot of user feedback and it's, it's all really fun um, to read. Even, even the negative stuff is really fun to read because, you know, people are engaging with, with the, the feature. But one of my favorite things is when I hear a user say, oh, and this took me down a path that I never thought I would go down. You know, even, even in our team, we hear people say, oh, and I explored this new genre that I didn't think I would, could perform in or, or create in. That is the magic of, you know, expanding human creativity, expanding your own sense of what you might have been able to do. I mean, that's what it's all about. So if we were to take a step back and look at that Drake and the Weekend song that came out, how would you rate that then on this spectrum? You know, I, I think in early stages of any technology adoption, you're going to have people like trying new things, playing around. I think it's fun. I think it's inventive. I think we're so early in this space. We have no idea where this is going to go. Um, just like when sampling first started, we had no idea how far it would go. When synths first came on the scene, you know, everyone was so scared. And then Stevie Wonder did what he did. And it's just, it's taken things to a next level. It's incredibly powerful. And these are fun. These are fun toys. This is, you know, fun creativity. But I think there's more to come. Right. It was fun. It, it showed us what was possible. I don't think many people have listened to that song since, despite as many I of them mean, had tried to tell me it was fire and better than whatever. You know, but. I, I like the Beatles songs we have already. Do I need to hear other people, like other songs that sound like the Beatles? Like that, that's not really what it's about. I really think in the music industry, and this is again, you know, I'm, I'm a new person here. So, you know, I'll, I'll say my naive statements, but I don't think the music industry has ever been about a shortage of supply. It's been about, you know, what is the demand and understanding the demand. Um, you know, and, and things like Spotify have expanded demand. I can listen all the time, every time. But I think the next wave of how people increase demand for music is integrating it more into their lives. And whether it's, um, you know, I was at a yoga studio this weekend, such a Marin thing to say, but I was at a yoga studio this weekend and um, there was live music there. And I thought that was really cool. And it's a very personal, live engagement with music, musicians, and, and what it means to people. And more experiences that allow you to do that are going to be more important in the future. And a big part of that is the creation of the music and how do we create music together. And that as a form of entertainment. So now that AI strategies have become table stakes in a lot of ways, how does Splice keep its edge? You know, are AI technologies table stakes? 
So I would say that 90% of the AI technology out there is terrible. I think it's noise. I think it's generating poor quality output. They're toys. Um, so I think, again, it's still very, very early in good AI technology, especially in the music space. I think it's more complicated than people think. That's fair. No, and I think circles and ties back. A lot of this is just where <laughs> yes. things are right now. Yeah, so I think in that space, I think we do have an edge that comes from our catalog of sounds, which is vast and continues to become deeper and more high quality over time. Um, and I think the way our, our philosophy for developing these tools with humans at the center is uh, a really core part of how we keep our edge. But for us, it's really about, and our users are telling us this, they want, to, they want us to be pulled in deeper and deeper into their workflow. So they're saying things like, how do I bring this technology deeper into my digital audio workstation? How do I not just start with a genre, but start with a musical idea that I have? How do I use this to browse the rest of your catalog, right? So they're asking us these questions and we are letting them basically guide us with our future product roadmap. So those are the things that you're going to see coming from us is bringing this power closer and closer into the core of the digital workflow. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about leadership because you've worked in a few different capacities where you've started yeah. companies, you've sold companies, you've led product teams, you've led other organizations, and you were on the board of Splice before joining the company as CEO. And you took over from a founder who very much had a vision. It was his baby in a lot of ways. How did you approach those first 90 days when you were starting? What did you think about, okay, how do I want to set the tone? How do I want to craft the vision? Maybe I'll answer this question by stepping back a little bit uh, and talking about what really defines my leadership style. Um, I'm an immigrant to this country and I'm a brown woman in technology. Um, and both of those things have really given me a strong grounding in what it means to be the other. And so I know what it feels like to not get the in-jokes. I know what it feels like to be overlooked, to have to struggle really hard to be understood because of language barriers or cultural barriers. Um, and so for me that, you know, maybe the defining word of my leadership style is empathy. And so coming into Splice, even though I'd been on the board, I was familiar with the company, I was familiar with many of the people at the company, I wanted to start with a beginner's mindset. Like, let me really just see and learn what's happening here, who's here. Um, and so I basically forced myself. And again, I was familiar with the company. I felt like I knew what I needed to do. But I forced myself to not make a single decision in the first 30 days that I was there. And I undertook a pretty extensive listening tour. I spent a lot of time with our employees, um, senior employees, junior employees, listened to their hopes and dreams. I spent time with our customers. I went and met many of them. I spent time with our partners. And for me, it, it was about listening. It was about that empathy. Um, and then that translated into what we needed to do for this company. Um, 
a lot of which was around you know my expertise, which is building technology teams and building great software teams. So that was one of our my first priorities was how do we make sure that we're building software that really um, deserves to be next to this incredible content, this incredible library of sounds. Um, and then how do we make sure that we're meeting the bar of our customers? And I'll say, you know, there were a lot of things that we were shipping at the time that weren't meeting the bar for our customers. And some of the hard decisions we had to make was to say, no, this is not good enough. We're not going to ship this anymore. Um, we got a lot of grief for shutting down Studio, which was a really core part of the Splice offering. Um, on the other hand, it also allowed us to focus on making a few things a lot better. And I can absolutely say today that our sounds product, which is our subscription service to the Splice catalog of sounds, is um, the best product of its kind in the industry. I'm super, super proud of it. I think, too, that you've been able to find opportunities, whether it's with Sounds Catalog or others, you're constantly innovating, but I'm sure there's plenty of places where you get feedback loops just because of how many subscribers and how many users you have. But I'm sure there's also places where, whether it's some Reddit thread or something like that, where how do you filter out whether that's noise or if that's something that we should really be focusing on. I have to say that we listen to all of it. We really listen to all of it. Um, some things we can fix really quickly, right? So we heard a lot of feedback on the fact that our search experience was not meeting the bar for, for our customers. Um, the results were buggy. The results were... You know, you type in different things, you get the same set of answers no matter what you typed in. There were some real problems with it. And we spent a lot of time fixing that very, very quickly. Because you can't access the content if you can't search through the library. So it was just fundamental. There are other things that we get feedback on, and I will, you know, talk about it openly around our subscription service. And the subscription model doesn't work for everyone. And that's something that we are working on and trying to understand. It's not an easy problem to solve because the way our current subscription model works is also how we compensate the artists who provide the sounds and samples to us. So it's not an easy problem to solve, but we hear the feedback and we're working on it and we're thinking about these problems pretty hard. We want to make sure that we can reach all of, all of the people who want to use Splice with a pricing model that makes sense. But it's complicated because we want to make sure that we do right by the suppliers to Splice as well. Right. Is the biggest barrier with pricing, is it willingness to pay from certain users or the frequency of payments or? The, the Splice subscription model ha gives you access to a certain number of credits every month. And, you know, you're a creative person. I've been a creative person. You don't always need a certain number of credits every month because you work episodically. You know, you're going to not work on music for a few months and then you're going to have a really big spell where you're going to use a lot of credits. And that, you know, the model is episodic, whereas creativity is not episodic. And so I think that's what we need to think through is how do we make sure that we're meeting the needs of the creative people where they are. Right, because a flat 
buffet style consume all you want for a set price could leave a lot of people hanging especially the power suppliers but if you're charging purely on an a la carte basis it doesn't quite give the business the recurring revenue that could likely just have things be a bit more predictable that's true but we're we're open to a lot of different ideas we're exploring a lot we're trying to learn a lot from our users we're doing surveys so we'll i can't say more about what we're gonna do but it's definitely something we're spending a lot of time thinking about makes sense Another thing, we're talking about leadership. You talked about a few of the important elements there. Another thing, and I've heard you talk about this in other in other interviews, is leaning into fear. You had given yeah. this talk <laughs> back at Haas, and you talked about some of your own experiences. And I think you were at GitHub at the yes. time. And it would be interesting to hear since then in your career, times that you've leaned into fear, or times that that's been helpful for you with certain things. Well, being the CEO of a music company feels crazy. <laughs> what am I thinking? I love it. I love it. Um, I feel really, really lucky to be here. One of the defining um, attributes, you know, every personality, you know, leadership survey thing that I've ever done um, has come back with learning is a really important value to me. And almost every time when I've left a job or looked for something else, it's because my learning curve has become less um, less steep. You know you're learning when you're doing something that's scary, right? Because you haven't reached mastery. You don't know what you're doing. Um, so for me, learning and fear kind of go hand in hand. And so it's a pretty core part of Yes, since then, there have been a number of times that I've been um, scared, but it's also the times that I feel most exhilarated. Uh, you know, I was in a very senior role at Adobe. I was having a ton of fun. I was waking up every day thinking about how to help people be more creative, leaving something that's, you know, so successful and, and working so well to come to a, you know, an industry that I know less about at a company, you know, at a company in, at Crossroads like Splice um, definitely felt like a challenge, but I'm so glad I did it. And I have to imagine too, that even you coming in, you're seeing how the world is seen, you're finding different opportunities that likely shifts, not just the type of partnerships or the type of conversations you may seek, but the different types of folks that you may be trying to reach to. And I think that sometimes in the industry, people can create auras or clouds about certain people. And even before you meet certain people, you know, some of these things can <laughs> seep in there. But then sometimes you realize that, oh, I, at least I'm more speaking from personal experience, the people that are a bit more aligned, much more down to earth, much more chill about things. And I'm like, okay, this is what a partnership yeah. should feel like. <laughs> you know, I, I laugh when you ask this question because so many times this has happened to me where I'll be talking to someone and then they'll say something like, oh, and you know, I'm a Grammy award winning, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, did you know that? I'm like, no, I actually didn't know that, you know. So um, I, that happens to me all the time. Um, and yeah, I guess, I mean, there is an aura, but when you get down to it, I mean, we had this incredible dinner recently with some really leading music producers. And at the end of the day, we're kind of all the same, right? We're just trying to find a way to push our craft forward and um, these music producers were all women. 
And we found so much common ground around the, the things that I had to overcome being a woman in technology that they had to overcome being women in the music industry. Um, you had a great conversation about this when you were going through that um, top 50 moguls conversation, right? There are systemic barriers that are in place, um, but you know we're all working through it. Definitely. That point that you made about the Grammy award-winning producers, it makes me think sometimes about the Zoom background flex where <laughs> you're having a Zoom call with someone and they have all these plaques behind them and stuff. And then behind me, I'm like, oh yeah, what's well, a painting that I just really liked? That's a fine mind. I don't have the equivalent flex. I don't know what to say. But you know, I think, I think um, a lot of those people feel relieved to not have to carry that burden of being recognized for who they are. Because it kind of lets them be a normal person too, which I think is actually really nice. I think so too. When we last talked, I think one of the things we talked about towards the end, there was some piece I'd written right around the time we met. It was about the billion dollar exits in yeah, the yeah, industry. Yeah. And I remember you told me, you were like, oh, we'll see about that. Because I think I told you how they're few and far between. Yeah. So let's talk about it. How does Splice get there? Right now, or at least in 2021, I believe the company was valued around $500 million. 2021 is very different than where we are now, yeah. of course. But yeah, how does, how does Splice get there? Well, I think there are two ways I want to answer that question. One is about Splice. Um, when we had that last valuation, since that time, basically every metric that you'd measure about Splice at the time to what you'd measure today is up and to the right. So... Um, we're in a very fortunate position relative to many of the, the companies in the industry. We're doing well. Our core business fundamentals are very, very sound. But I think when, when I think about the billion-dollar exit, you know, one of the questions is, is the market big enough? And, you know, some of the numbers I was sharing with you, you know, 300, 400 million musicians, the number of music producers, the number of feature producers, it's a vast market that is deeply underserved. So, I think that's really important. Um, so that's one way to think about it, right? The business dollars and cents. But I think the other way to think about it, and it's been a really um, introspective week for me and for a lot of people who either work or worked at Adobe because John Warnock, one of the founders of Adobe, just passed away last week. And he was one of those people, you know, people you didn't see him that much. You saw him maybe at a board meeting. But he had such a lasting impression on the company and the culture that even people like me who haven't worked at the company for a while now still get emotional thinking about the impact that John had. And when he started Adobe, he wasn't thinking about the billion dollar exit. He wasn't thinking that it was someday it was going to be whatever, $20 billion a year you know, kind of company. He was trying to solve a problem for customers. And the problem he was trying to solve was in this new digital world, how do you make sure that graphics show up in the right way? And that meant building PostScript, which is a super geeky printer language, who cares, you know? But that core idea of in this new digital world, people are going to want to get graphics to have high fidelity led to everything else. And I would say that for Splice, the idea is very simple also, which is, Music is the emotional layer of the world that we, you know, imagine YouTube or TikTok or any of these things on mute. Now, 
they're very boring experiences without the sound behind them, without the voice, without the music. Um, music is so fundamental. And we have taught the vast majority of human beings that you are not good enough to create music. My in-laws who are in their 80s came over last weekend. And it's weird to me that, you know, when they talk about TV shows, they talk about TV shows that they watch on YouTube. And I'm like, that's so weird. Like I'm expecting them to watch CNN or something like that, but they're getting it. And one of their favorite TV shows from YouTube is this guy, Guitaro 5000, who walks around the streets in various places and gets people to sing a song. And his, and his pitch is really simple. Sing a song with me and it will make you feel happy. And the number of people who are like, I can't sing. I'm terrible at singing. But you know what? Every single person who sings with him leaves incredibly happy. It's because music does something to our brain chemistry that is fundamentally different. In this crazy world of hurricanes and heat waves and war and shootings, we need this more than ever. So that's the core idea. Music belongs to everyone. Creating music belongs to everyone. I'm probably not going to live to see that happen, but even making a small dent in that is something worth doing. Makes sense. And at least for the first part, there's the numbers game, right? Where if you're able to reach that TAM, then you just do the math and you know there's the revenue that's there. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like I've told you, I think one of the things that can hurt the industry to some extent is that if everything is based off of streaming revenue, and not everything, I yeah, mean yeah, a lot yeah. of the other companies more so, but if everything is based off of the streaming revenue, then everyone is waiting to try to get that one or two big names to make it happen. Yeah, You obviously are all in a different landscape. Um, we don't care at all about streaming revenue. <laughs> <laughs> some of our users do and we want to support them, but- that doesn't really matter. Right. And I do think that now, at least venture-backed companies now that have started in the past 10, 15 years may not have some of the same luxuries of, let's say, Adobe's founder starting in a very different landscape now. But I do think that if you're in this more so for the belief as opposed to trying to find some way to have a big exit, then you're probably going to naturally have the success anyway. So, yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope, you know, from, from your mouth to the ears of God. Um, but I do think that you, you, it's only worth doing if it, if it makes a big difference and hopefully we will try to make a big difference. Um, it helps that the core foundations of the business are strong. Agreed. So before we wrap things up, yep. let's go five years from now. Where is Splice? What is the company's trajectory? What company, what things are Splice solving at that particular point? Let's set the future. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'll, I'll tell a different story and I'll bring it back to Splice for a second. I was listening to a story recently about Nike. And what was interesting to me to learn about Nike was that when they started, the only real market for running shoes were track athletes. And today, you and I both, you know, we, we run and we run not just for physical health, but we run for mental health. And I think there's something about that that really deeply resonates with me. 
So in five years, Splice is serving music producers, it's serving professionals who are trying to get ahead and find that right sound to get that finished song to completion. But Splice is also in the hands of um, kids who just want to give life to the ideas inside their heads, inside their hearts. And it's just something that you do. Um, so that that's my hope. Sounds good. And anything else that uh, we should let the Trapital audience know about before we let you go? Only that I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love your show. I love the conversation. So let's keep talking. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank Appreciate you. it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Send it to one or two people you think would really get value out of listening to this episode. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the show, that would be great. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Rate the podcast on Spotify. Rate the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps make sure that the word gets out about Trapital and what we're building here. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next time.